your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome to the very first official off-season edition of the Blocking Charge Cast, the, the probably the most relevant college basketball podcast on Off Tackle Empire, at the very least. I can't think of any college basketball podcasts on this blog that talk more about college basketball than we do, so I think that's fair to say, and kind of the penultimate episode of the season from here our basketball coverage is going to kind of get blended in with the football previews which are going basketball to- coverage is basically just going to be news we can throw into the summer football preview series so yeah uh, you know we'll get that transfer portal sound a lot more right hoping that by then maybe the transfer portal has slowed its vicious churn a little bit but eh, not likely anyway yeah no that's yeah <laughs> that's like that's like me hoping that the uh hoping that the market will at some point like you know realize that nobody's buying at these levels and stop going up all the time <laughs> you think that, you think that matters all right anyway um yeah so we'll, we'll start by looking back a little bit on the final weekend of the season even though i had kind of a melancholy tinge to it for us here in big 10 land because there were two teams from the state of texas and zero from the entire big 10 footprint in the final weekend of those three games, we basically had one instant classic between Gonzaga and UCLA and two blowouts, one by Baylor. So that was a little bit of a letdown in terms of both result and competitiveness. I don't think either of us wanted Baylor to win, but they did. And Well, I mean, you have I, – I, I, I pointed out a couple of things that actually ended up coming to pass um, in the podcast that we had, I think uh, – a couple weeks ago, last week. Uh, one is that Houston will absolutely lose to Baylor by a lot more than Illinois did. It wasn't all that much more, but it was still definitely more. Uh, and the game wasn't as close. Um, second, Gonzaga's just too likable to have won this whole thing. Um, and that's when it, when it goes, when you, when you get right down to it, you have two schools that have never won a title, but you have one school that just seems to this is this is their thing this is kind of like not all that they have as a school but like by far their most prominent program of any renown um not that of course Baylor doesn't become that but it's a lot easier to build something that'll go to a national championship game and will repeatedly be in the sweet 16 in a power five conference than it is in the WCC uh, and also Baylor has a uniquely horrible track record institutionally as far as athletics are concerned. And um, you, you hope that they learned the lessons the second time that they didn't learn the first time. But, you know, the lessons they learned from the first thing were mostly about how to cover up crimes better with institutional support instead of just having the coach handle it all. So yeah, evidently so. But I, I will tell you this. So at the beginning of the season, given how... <laughs> I've been privately continually incensed about the fact that at least as of a couple of days ago, nothing had happened to any of the coaches caught in the biggest cheating scandal in college basketball history, really. Um, and because of that, not only had nothing happened, I was positive that the results from this tournament was going to be Kansas winning the whole thing under dollar bill self. And then they, you know, they were out and that was, I was like, all right, well, so it's not my worst case scenario anymore. 
you expressed the opinion, and I thought it was also pretty likely that Michigan was going to end up winning with just the easiest road to the, the title game in the history of the tournament because that was a distinct possibility after the way their bracket broke, both the two and the two and the three seed falling before they ever played Michigan. Um, that also didn't happen. It, you know, Duke and Kentucky were both watching at home. North Carolina was out in the first round, and then Roy Williams quit in a huff. We got some decent outcomes from this in terms of teams that we're normally rooting against. So, and as far as you well, where you mentioned Bill Self and NCAA violations, he just signed a lifetime contract with Kansas that specifically had a clause that says he can't be fired due to any infractions matter with NCAA, <laughs> which he, is the most he had it enshrined in it. So now it's like it's like in it's like in Death Note when. L or when L has been killed by Light Yagami, who's Kira, and it's like basically now the only thing standing in my way from imposing my godlike will on this world has been eliminated. Now, now I will marshal the full power of all of my resources, except for Jarence Howard, who has gone to Texas. I just don't understand. So I was no, I was about to say I don't understand how Kansas does that. But then I remembered, because you know, I would feel like, wouldn't they normally have a little more common sense than that? But this is also the school that hired Wes Miles without looking into any of the stuff that was going on in the background at LSU, which presumably they could have found out about. I, I don't know. I don't remember if that ended up being a story that everyone, that people thought, all right, this was out there for them to find, or if it was a well-concealed secret. Because it's true, you know, that stuff happened for the most part several years ago and there I, mean, never... I didn't do a background check but you recall i was very high on him yeah well yeah on paper it made sense to the as far as information available to us the you know the layperson public sure it looked like a great hire but still given that they just put their foot in that shit pie you would think they'd be a little bit careful about where they're putting their other foot and not also put that in another shit pie on the ground which it look there's a distinct possibility that this ends up being a real problem for Kansas. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but let's just talk about it now since we're on the topic. Arizona fired Sean Miller yesterday morning because about a month, you know, last month they got hit with five level one infractions from the NCAA. It's hard to imagine they're not that those types of charges aren't also going to be coming for Louisville, Kansas, Miami, LSU, like a lot of these schools are going to be dealing with serious heat. And you have to at least pretend like in these possibly waning hours of the amateur model, given the way those hilarious Supreme court arguments went a couple of weeks ago, you've got to at least pretend like they're, they're not going to let go of this charade. We've seen that every step of the way. They're like, no, we are going to cling to this log until it is until it's all the way underwater and we drown with it. So nope, we're gonna we're gonna diamond hand these bags until they go to zero. So in order to pretend in order to keep pretending, the schools are gonna have to do something when these coaches get hit with these sanctions and these allegations. And now and yeah, like you said, now Kansas has written themselves into a situation where their coach's contract automatically renews every year. And they can't fire him for breaking rules. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't understand how you explain that to, to anyone that you're accountable to. If you're accountable to anyone, I guess Kansas basketball answers to no man nor God, as you you know kind of alluded to. But oh, that was that's a weird one. Um, so, so 
the thing is about Kansas is, like I mentioned, what I perceive to be Bill Self's lead bag man, Jarence Howard, got poached by Texas. Uh, that's the guy that makes sure that all of the Chicago recruits go not to Illinois, but mostly consider Kansas because he was our he was uh, he was our guy for quite a while and has been very prolific at getting these kinds of recruits for Kansas. So I'm wondering um, what the bill of goods is going to look like now with that guy. I, I was very shocked that new Texas coach Chris Beard was able to get a hold of him. Yeah. So again, we'll stick with the coaching thing and kind of come back to the games in a minute. But uh, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot else to talk about. We could wax poetic about how awesome the UCLA Gonzaga game was, but it's kind of been talked to death. Um, I think Jalen Suggs is the player in this draft that I want if I'm an NBA. I'm only a casual NBA fan, but if the Pistons want me to be interested again, they're going to be in the range most likely where they could have a shot at drafting Suggs. That's the guy I want. Because I've watched, I mean, I, I agree that Cade Cunningham is probably the best pro prospect. And there's other guys, there's these two G League guys who nobody's ever seen because they don't televise G League games. Um, Evan Mobley from USC is a center, so I don't want him in the modern NBA. Like Suggs is the guy that I want the team to take if you want my interest. Draft somebody else, I'm probably going to continue to not pay attention. But that was what I got out of that game is the guy is an absolute game changer, even though they ended up losing in pretty disappointing fashion. Which, oh, by the way, that's the one thing we'll say about the title game. If you want to contrast the quality of the final four games to the title game, uh, what was different about the title game? Oh, look who's on the whistle in the title game. Boborowski. And what did we get within, what, three or four minutes of the game yeah, having started? Not Larry Suggs has two game. fouls, and now he's on the bench for the rest of the first half. Because that's what we want in our showcase yep. game for the entire season, is one of the best players in the country sitting there in a warm-up watching while his backup plays 15 yeah. minutes in the first What was half. the Fantastic best part of the final four? The best part of the final four was Jalen Suggs. Um, what was missing from the first half of that game? <laughs> Jalen Suggs. Yeah, and he still ended up with 22 points. He, I mean, granted, it didn't necessarily matter at that point because Baylor's guys were just hitting shots. Uh, and it, it also had a little bit of, that, of a feel of a game where sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. Because, um, yeah, Baylor had a couple guys go. I think Mitchell was like five for seven from three or something like that. Flagler was either three or four out of five. Um, from deep so they had guys who just couldn't miss and this was also really the one thing the one game I've seen all year where it's like wow you know Baylor or I'm sorry Gonzaga has improved their athleticism from what they used to be which was basically an extremely well coached mid-major to the point where they're I don't think they're really just a big fish in a small pond anymore that then looks overwhelmed when they get into the ocean of the tournament I think they belong in this field with most of these other teams but when they get against the most athletic opponents like Baylor, they still come up a little bit short. And that's usually, that's easiest to see in the perimeter play. But you also, I mean, Drew Chimmy is not going to get much criticism for this game because he shot really effectively. So if you look at the basics of the box score, you would think he played a good game. He also turned the ball over five times and he only attempted seven shots from the field. So that's the kind of, like, there's efficiency in terms of making a given number of shots that you take. And then there's inefficiency in, when we throw the ball at you, how much does it actually work, whether you get a shot off or not? So I got five turnovers to, I think, five made field goals or something like that. I don't have the box score right in front of me. Um, really disappointing game from him because otherwise he had a pretty solid tournament. But 
And yeah, I saw cool. a lot of neutral interest for Baylor because for some reason, it seems like a lot of uh, neutral people really wanted to see Gonzaga get cruelly denied yet again, which I don't understand outside of one explanation is that they, they screwed you in the past in a bracket, which I'm sure they've done to everybody, but like, you know, get over it. Like that happens. You pick Gonzaga, you know, that, that, what that comes with the territory. Um, Cause otherwise I don't really see, I did see something in a defector article um, that basically said that Gonzaga produced John Stockton and then nothing noteworthy for a while, but Gonzaga has become the Utah Jazz of the NCAA tournament. Oh, the team that history happens against. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, this is the first, wasn't this the first Final Four they've made actually, or did they have one? They had one other, I think, right? Before I thought, this. Yeah, I was pretty they sure could they, they could end up going that route, I guess. That's always a possibility. There are definitely coaches that never break all the way through, but I do think this is their best team so far, and they got to the title game. Like, this is as far as they've gotten. I don't know if I'm quite right to say that yet. I mean, damn, Utah Jazz, that's tough. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in the title <laughs> game four years ago. Yeah, okay. So they made it there one other time. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm willing to say that. But, yeah, so the UCLA-Gonzaga game is a classic. Baylor really overwhelmed Houston. This game had kind of a different feel to it again, for a number of reasons. Um, but that's that's it in terms of the tournament. You know, we do have a first time national champion for I, I don't know how far back you'd have to go to find the last time that happened. I mean, we no, talked about Virginia, this. but prior to Virginia, it had been yeah. so. Wait, wait, wait. Did Virginia win the last one? We well, yeah, but it was two years ago. Yeah, so we have two straight first time winners. Oh my god, what is happening? That kind of shatters your whole worldview, which is that it's impossible to ever win anything if you're not in the club. Yeah. I mean, I would I would say certainly proves that it is in fact possible, though you know, you talk about Virginia, it's one of those ones where you say, Wait, they didn't win one? Oh what? are are you sure they didn't win one? Well, yeah, I mean, with what other history before Bennett, though? Like, I honestly, I could not name the best player in Virginia basketball history. Ralph Sampson? Maybe, yeah, okay, so a guy. Maybe that's Ralph Sampson erasure, but I, yeah, that, that don't impress me much, I guess. Um, I mean, they had two Final Fours in the 80s. Yeah, before either of us were born, dude. Like, I... <laughs> I don't, I don't know how far back you want to go in terms of basketball history here. Like, I don't know. Um, I think we kind of lost the train of thought here. So, yeah. It's just the thing open. I know Virginia from is that they were number one in the country when they lost to Chaminade. Yeah, there was that. There was them being the first one seed to lose to a 16. Like, on the balance, Virginia is not exactly a blue blood that's been there a handful of times and just come up short repeatedly. Like that's not their character as a program. It just isn't. Um, I mean, really in recent, in recent years with them being good, it's been, man, they're going to go in the tourney and they're going to score 45 points and somebody's going to beat them, whether that team is any good or not. Like that's how it's going to go. So I no, that's, that to me is what Virginia's pedigree is. Um yeah, and if we're reverse dating ourselves by me not coming up with Ralph Sampson off the top of my head, it's almost 40 years ago now. So sorry for not caring that much. Uh, yeah, you, and again, to kind of wrap up, put a bow on the Gonzaga conversation here, 
I don't know if you've seen any of the top 25 projections for next year, but they're going to start the season number one, most likely. That'll obviously depend on who stays or goes. You know, Kispert's a senior. Suggs is obviously going to go because he's a top five pick. I don't know what they have coming in at point guard to replace him, but they'll. I would guess they'll build around Timmy for the most part. They have Ayayi and Nembhard back as their two other starters who are both pretty good. Who, you know, guys who could be the best player on a lot of other tournament teams. I mean, Nemhard was the best player on Florida's team a couple years ago and then transferred. So, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think I'm ready to call Gonzaga the Utah Jazz yet, I guess is the point I'm making. But honestly, even if they were, somebody's got to be in the finals against the Bulls. I think they're in kind of a fortunate position here in that there could well be a sea change coming in terms of college coaches, because I made a passing reference to Roy Williams retiring. Well, you tell me that with the way things are heading with the transfer portal and how it's going to, how recruiting is basically never going to end. Look, I I understand it already never ends because you're always looking at the next cycle of high school players, but now it never ends with your own players on your team in college. Like that's good. You have to keep recruiting your own players. Yeah. And that's, there's plenty of, like, you really telling me that guys like coach K and Beheim and Izzo are, are going to keep doing that at their ages. Like, I don't think any of those guys is going to be around in another five years. Um, there's going to be a lot of opening for enterprising young coaches who are able to adapt to this. Of course, the most likely thing is that Bill Self and Cal Perry just run the sport for the next decade after everybody else is gone. But yeah, um, well, and conversely, I mean, Illinois has a coach who clearly is not bothered by dudes leaving his team in droves, as the first couple of years showed. No, apparently not. And man, I, who knows, maybe it'll end up being that he was playing three-dimensional chess the whole time and was just preparing himself and his program for this moment in time. But before we get to the transfer portal, we got we to gotta circle back to Chris Beard, uh, because that started with Shaka Smart basically getting an ultimatum um, and then going to Marquette. So, so, right, so you, you have tangential access to inside people at Texas. So that is what happened. They told them find another job or we fired. It, it, yeah. It was leave or get fired. That's still, I look, I get the first round exit is embarrassing and everything. He still won them their first big 12 tournament title. There were plenty of signs that that thing was going to shape up. I, I guess if you, Presumably you don't make that move unless you have a pretty good idea you're going to be able to land Chris Beard. But for Smart, he is a native of Wisconsin, so I can understand why he'd be willing to go to Marquette. It's not like the Big 12 is going to get any easier. You know, Baylor just won the title. Kansas is Kansas. You still had Beard at Texas Tech at that point. And Chaka Smart is a guy who was reluctant to leave VCU for a bigger program. And I'm sure now that uh, his reluctance has been validated because – there is just something different that you have to do when you coach at that level that, you know, in a lot of cases you find guys that would be successful at other levels. I mean, shit, John Gross is doing better in the Mac than he did at Ohio. You mean they did at Illinois or? No, 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 no. He was, he's doing better now at Akron than he was at Ohio. He just didn't take Akron to the tournament yet, but conference oh, yeah, I yeah. think is better. Yeah, I agree. So I think Marquette is probably a pretty decent fit for Shaka Smart, um, and it's a pretty good hire for them. Oh, for sure. Because they well, they fired uh, Woji, so they've got a need. that You know, Marquette's in such a weird position because a couple of years ago, they had Marcus Howard, they had the Hauser brothers, and it felt like they had an opportunity to be kind of that 
I don't know if I would say like the Villanova of the moment, but there's always a team in the Big East or the American that is a prominent national title contender. Like it felt like they were in a spot where they could have made that step. And they just, man, they, they really did not build the momentum they had from Howard being such a prominent national player. I, I don't know. Yeah. At that time, if you t- told me that they would have a new coach now, I would have been very surprised. Yeah. Um, but Texas poaches Chris Beard, who I remember I included in an article about uh, performing the Manny Diaz maneuver, which is to say, I've accepted the job at the head coach of this place. And then without ever having coached a game, say, I've accepted a new job at the head coach of this other place, uh, which Chris Beard did to UNLV and then went to Texas Tech. And I recall at the time that the reason for that was that home was calling. Texas Tech call. was yep. Texas Tech was where he'd He'd been mentored as a coach by the uh, the the Knights, if you will, uh, yeah. for about a decade. As you know, and I saw all these articles about, oh, that was his formative years in coaching, and you know, now he's, of course, he couldn't say no to going back home. But now he's back home, back home. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's a different level of home that you go. And so, if you're Texas Tech, you just had an in-state rival in your conference take your coach who had a long history with your school before he was the head coach uh, who had taken you to a final four. I mean, what do you even compare this to? The Um, closest I can think of is if Texas tech hired Lincoln Riley as their head football coach, because he played quarterback there. And even then he still hasn't been coaching at Oklahoma as long as Chris Beard had been with the Texas tech program. Yeah. You know, we we were trying to come up with other analogies for this. It would be, you know, imagine that Brett Bielema had never left Wisconsin and was still coaching there today. And then like instead of going with, to Arkansas, yeah, he just they stayed actually fired him after 2012. No, I, was, uh, I was saying that, that Bielema had stayed to match up the timelines. You basically got to have Bielema stay there until now. And then Kirk Ferentz retires and Iowa hires him directly away. Like that's the kind of move that this is. And, it, you know, we, <laughs> the big 12 plays around Robin's schedule. Do they not with two matchups every year because of between every team, because of the number of teams in the conference. So that means Texas goes to Texas tech every season, whether they play in the conference tournament or not. So I'll tell you what, as somebody who's been itching to get back to live sports, I know that the emotion is going to be very high and there's going to be a lot more yelling even than usual. The first time I get to go to a live sports event, because it's just been, I've just been sitting here on my couch, you know, even in games that I could have gone to normally or that I would have normally gone to. And I just, I, I, I can't be heard from where I am. So the first time you can actually contribute to that energy, it's going to be, there's definitely going to be a boost in the atmosphere from people being so happy to be back. If we get to a point where we're able to get full capacity by, you know, by this time uh, conference play starts, which I think is very probable. So imagine if they open the conference season with Chris Beard going to Texas Tech. Oh, if they want eyeballs, they'll absolutely do that. So maybe this is an outdated thing or not accurate, but I'm looking at details of Beard's contract. Seven years, $35 million. That's $5 million a year. Texas Tech was paying him more than that. Yes, not by a whole but lot. There was something... There was some sort of incentives or something like that that would make him the third highest paid coach in college basketball. I, I guess I, that's just uh, 
again, I, talk about burning a bridge, first of all. I mean, it, obviously the plan is you never go back there except to coach the one game a year. But And it, look, in terms of lifestyle difference, Lubbock, Austin, you know, I'm doing the thing with my hands where you kind of weigh them like a scale and eh, you can, you can, you can probably guess how that balances out to most people. It, yeah, I get, I get it, but he's going to catch hell for it. He's going to deserve it. Um, I, I think those Texas tech fans are entitled to say anything they want to him when he's in that building indefinitely the rest of his career anything they want to throw at him is perfectly fine and yes i understand he got them to a title game and that really they were kind of a non-factor before he got there i get all that but to to build your school's program and then go and leave not just for an in-state rival but like an in-state rival that has always had all the advantages and power imbalance and you know they run the conference that both of you are in and everybody knows it and you leave for those guys when it's really not that much of a difference in terms of the money. It's just, yeah. I, I can't conceive of anything. So like I said, it, it would be like if Indiana had hired away Matt painter for basically the same salary. Like that's kind of what this would feel. You know, it's, it'd be something like that. Yeah. Uh, I just can't, I, I cannot imagine how angry I would be if I were a Texas tech fan. I just can't <laughs> even, I, I don't have, well, okay, so yeah, there's there's kind of a fair question in there, right? Which is, does the fact that he did so well for you, got you the Final Four, I think won them the conference once, maybe. Kansas had it forever. I don't know if he won the conference or not. I think he had, I think he did once. I think he might have been the one that broke their streak. But anyway, does does all the success that he had for you matter even the slightest bit to you anymore if you're a fan of that school? Or did he light it all on fire, in the blink of an eye, did he well, just gasoline and flick the match at it? That very much depends. What happens over the next five years? Does Texas Tech continue to be above where they were when Chris Beard got there? Or is it a thing where then Texas becomes, or Texas is a nationally relevant program that's in the tournament all the time, and you aren't anymore? Uh, Illinois fans are still pretty mad about Bill Self, largely for that. Like, if Illinois had sustained its trajectory after Bill Self left, uh, forget going to, I mean, they could have not even gone to that title game, but we're talking about they're in the tournament more often than not for the next 15 years after that. And Bill Self didn't win a title, right? But yeah. we're, we're pretty, we're, you know, it, it's more about Illinois not being good than Kansas being good because Kansas is Kansas. But it's it's a thing where like, no, we kind of have to continue to be mad at the guy until such time as we're where we were in the preceding eight to 10 years. Yeah. And so you mentioned basically that you would reserve judgment until you see how this goes. Well, but until such time, I'm mad. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's perfectly legit. Cause so to replace beard, they promote from within um, Mark Adams, who was an assistant for beard. Um, and again, his, he's his defensive been, guru, apparently. Yeah, so he's which again, that's been the calling card. So the hope, the hope, if you're Texas Tech, is that you get a little bit of the Chris Beard program retained. Oh, not even a little bit. That you're pulling the spine out of Chris yeah, Beard's program. That you're, that you're getting, guy. you're getting Matt Campbell, and they're getting Tim Beckman. Right, that's the hope, and who knows if that's true? Like you said, time will tell. But that's the direction they're going. Um, yeah, so that's that's still uh, that's a mind blowing situation to me. 
Speaking of other coaching hires, we mentioned Roy Williams. They also promote from within at North Carolina to replace him. Hubert Davis is the new head man at UNC, which basically means if you have a promising young coach, if you're, you know, for example, Ohio State with Chris Holtman, you don't necessarily have, you're a little relieved because that's one of the absolute top of the food chain programs that isn't going to be out looking for somebody to steal. Um, and then we also mentioned Sean Miller getting booted from Arizona. I don't think, I mean, again, that was just yesterday morning. I don't believe they've hired. Let me just do a quick Google search and see if they made a replacement yet. No, it's all just about Sean Miller being fired. So they are now kind of the top of the heap in terms of vacant coaching spots. So <laughs> you know, when, I'll tell you what, you're, all, you're always going to be nervous when your coach is a guy that you pride from a power five school after one year. Like you just, oh, yeah. you just can't help like, by all means, he should Brad Underwood should stay at Illinois. But given the circumstances under which he arrived, you know, you can't necessarily be sure of that. You know he's willing to look. You know he's willing yeah. to look. Uh, yeah, but you know that's still going to be the best available coaching vacancy now. And it's still, given that that's the other top competitor, I still kind of wonder about Indiana. Uh, we're going to talk about them in just a minute, but. I don't think anyone else was coming from Mike Woodson, you know? I just, I don't know. Well, Maybe I mean, at this point. You have Arizona really, in a conference that's apparently way better than anybody thought. I refused. I, I reject that reality, first of all, because we've been over this before. The small sample size. Results, yeah, small sample size, single elimination, dead cat bounce. I mean, you're really telling me that you think Oregon State was that good or was it just that Ethan Thompson was on a heater? What is it? So, um, yeah. I think you're looking at a Pac-12 where UCLA was never going to be bad forever. Um, USC has their successful coach with Andy Enfield and Dana Altman hasn't been caught yet at Oregon. So those are your competitors. The rest of the conference is still down. I mean, Washington for all the talent they bring in has been terrible. Um, You know, Cal and Stanford continue to be non-factors. Arizona State, I thought was going to be good this year and they flat out weren't. I guess Colorado's decent, but yeah, Arizona. But I mean, the thing is, regardless of the landscape, Arizona is a program that has considerable tradition and respect in its own right. That's in my mind, probably about a top 15, top 20 program nationally. So that's good. It's not like the cupboard is empty there. Miller certainly attracted plenty of talent. So it's a good job, but Indiana would have been a vastly better destination for almost anybody except to the extent that maybe there's a little bit of perception that it's kind of like Texas football where the fans' expectations may be difficult to satisfy. Maybe that's something. I don't know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Anyway, we'll wrap up here doing a little bit, little, little bit of roster projection. And we're not going to do every team in the conference. We're not going to cover every player because given that three teams have new head coaches and that even without that, this is an unprecedented year in the history of transfers in college basketball. Everything's going to be different by the time we publish if we try to do that. Yeah. So we're just going to cover like the very latest stuff and basically point out some teams that are 
definitely going to look very different next year. Every team could look different because first of all, every senior in the country has the opportunity to come back and play again if they want. Again, think about a team like Wisconsin that had six out of their eight members of the regular rotation were seniors. What's the difference between getting none of those guys versus all of them? Although we know one of them is transferring. So (laughs) we're not going to try to project how good these teams are. We're just pointing out teams that are going to look extremely different. First is going to be the regular season conference champs, Michigan, because. Well, wait, wait. I think actually Gonzaga was awarded the national title on win percentage. It was a weird year. Okay. You're not still mad though. You're not mad. Please don't say that he was mad. So as far as their roster next year, it seems as though they're going to get hard Dickinson back. He had the kind of freshman season where you could say, well, what else are you going to prove? Well, you could prove that you have a face-up game if you want to get drafted. So he's probably going to be coming back. But then other than that, very little is assured other than they've got a, a really good recruiting class coming in. Mike Smith did confirm today he's going to take a stab at the NBA draft. Seems kind of dicey he would get drafted, but he could, he could definitely play in Europe. It seems almost positive that Franz Wagner and Isaiah Livers will also both head to the pros. So really the question marks at this point would be Eli Brooks and Chandy Brown. Do those two guys use an extra year or not? Even if both of those guys come back, this is still a very young team. That basically means you've got three guys in the rotation who played it all last season. Even Nevertheless, with Howard, hmm? Nevertheless, the whole team was built around Hunter Dickinson really. And Although I don't think anybody, even Michigan fans, necessarily expect them to be a one seed next year. If you're not in the medium term, really optimistic as as a Michigan fan, you're definitely allowed to be because if you're not allowed to be, then I don't think anybody else in the conference is. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be optimistic because, look, the next thing I was going to say is that we just saw in this most recent season that you can expect Howard has, again, small sample size you know caveats apply here but given the fantastic job he did integrating two transfers into this year's team is it so out of the question in a season where there could be as many as 13 14 1500 players in the transfer portal that he's going to be able to find a couple guys worth having that he can plug right in i think he'll be able to handle that and he's got this incredibly talented freshman class couple guys in this year's class who really didn't play much you're going to need more from Zeb Jackson Terrence Williams Um, so they're going to be a very different team they could be a completely different team expectations are going to kind of vary well they could be they're probably still going to be projected as a top 10 team at worst we'll see they're either going to nail those expectations or they're going to fail them completely I don't think they're going to be mediocre next year we'll see though that's going to be interesting Next team that has had virtually no fanfare or discussion about any of this happening nationally is Rutgers. They've had some surprising defections. They've gotten transfers from Miles Johnson and Jacob Young and now Montez Mathis, and Ron Harper has put his name in for the draft. Those are their four best players in my estimation. I mean, the next year, this is, uh, this is basically set up to be the TJ McConnell and Paul Mulcahy show, which could be a good variety program. I mean, it kind of has the sound of a YouTube show to it, but also Geo Baker is going to the draft. Yes, that was, I, that is something I left out, but yeah, he's also not so going to spend it, the it almost, year. it feels like it feels like when the bulls broke up, it, maybe it, the, the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is that Pykel has definitely pulled some impact transfers before. I mean, Jacob Young was a transfer, um, 
he found a Kwasi Eboa last year. He's already kind of adept at doing that. So this is an opportunity for him. I mean, it's a little, it's a kind of a continuation. Because remember last off season, that surprise, or the year before rather, that surprise transfer of Eugene Omari was, it was kind of like, whoa, what's that about? That's weird. Um, but then they replaced him with Yeboah just fine. But then this year, they had the same cast back. And every time you watch Rutgers and we talk about them in this positive light, it's, oh man, you know, they're so deep, but they do such a good job. And like, there's nobody selfish on this team. They're all in it together. And now this offseason comes and all these guys are going off. I get like, Miles Johnson says he wants to be closer to home. I totally believe that. Um, but most of the rest of them, you presume are looking for opportunities to be the number one guy that they're not getting at Rutgers. So was, did it ever actually meet, was it ever actually real? I guess, I, I don't know. We'll see. Yep. So that, I mean, that'll be his task, but that's, a, that's another thing where I guess Rutgers better get used to sooner rather than later, this being the reality um, because unless you're the kind of programs that can make, you know, that, that can work out agreements with top 100 players about under what conditions you'll stay here. <laughs> It, it feels like this is going to be more and more what you have to deal with if you have yeah. any success. Yeah, no, for sure. Which is that, <laughs> and you know, the thing that you get out of a guy like Miles Johnson leaving again, that's a guy who started, I think every game for them the last two years would have started it was their best option going forward. It's not like they recruited over him. I know they have Cliff Omari. He wasn't booting Johnson out of the starting lineup. This is a final. Wasn't he in the in the final? Did he make all defensive team in the conference this year? Like that's the kind of guy Pykele is going to keep on the floor. So, yeah, it, it, it does feel like there's a little bit of a paradigm shift underway here, where it doesn't necessarily matter how good the situation is for the guy at your team on your team, or if the team is having success. There's all kinds of things go, going on behind the scenes that we're not going to know about for the most part. Because look just because these guys may be more willing to transfer, that doesn't mean that they're going to be going on Twitter before they make that move saying, man, you know, things aren't going so great. I might be looking around. Um, nobody's going to say that. It's just going it, to, for the most part, this is still going to come out of left field for uh, to the eyes of the fan that, oh man, that guy's transferring, but he seemed to love it here. And they also could be doing it for really stupid reasons. They could also be doing it for very valid reasons. They could be doing it with the coach's encouragement in a way that nobody, even the coach is going to really talk about because, you know, it's, it's been frowned upon to do that. Yeah, um, there's so many things that we don't know. That's the thing that I'm concerned about and I'm worried could happen is with so many players going into the transfer portal, you know, it's going to happen that guys will put their names in overestimating the amount of attention they're going to get. And then their coach is going to be like, all right, well, shit, if you're in the portal, I got to have somebody at small forward next year. I'm going to take this guy and they're going to fill that guy's spot. They're not going to find any interest from a comparable or better program. They're going to end up having to go down a level of competition. So you're going to, so you're saying that the coaches are going to make the player smoke the whole carton of portal. If you're a coach, how could you not? What are you getting? So you're going to have presumably the coach is going to have the best finger on the pulse of the situation, right? Because, for example, Indiana is a great example of this. After Archie Miller was fired, six guys put their names in the portal. Mike Woodson shows up, he puts his staff together. And as we're sitting here right now, he's already convinced four of those guys to withdraw from the portal and stay. And that includes 
Race Thompson, who was their second best player last year, Christian Lander, who's still this dynamite future point, you know, centerpiece point guard, and a couple of fringier guys and Jordan Geronimo and Parker Stewart. They got all four of those guys to stay. He convinced Trace Jackson Davis to stay, although it sounded like he was going to anyway. So that's going to be an important thing too, building the relationships with your players and convincing them to stick it out through the ups and downs is going to be so vital because the barrier to leaving is going to be lower than it's been before. So a team like that, who's able to a coach, who's able to do that kind of thing is going to have, I think a lot more success navigating this than even the guys who are able to successfully go out and get transfer players. Like for example, and I'm not doing this to spit at Nebraska necessarily, but a Fred Hoiberg who has already shown a proclivity who, I mean, he's a way ahead of this wave, right? So he has no problem going out and getting the players every year. But then the problem is, as happened this year, Teddy Allen left like a week after he scored 41 points for Nebraska, he transferred, he's off the team. So I don't know what good it does Fred Hoiberg to go and get a guy like that if he doesn't keep him because the thing, this thing cycles even faster than it did when he was at Iowa state. So yeah, and, it's very much a double-edged sword. And this is also a thing where you almost get the feeling that the days of the shouty authoritarian coach may be coming to an end here. Oh yeah. If I didn't, if I wasn't sure that Tom Izzo was retiring in two years anyway, I would be very concerned because the pool of players willing to take his coaching has it I would guess on paper it's already shrinking um but now not only does he kind of restrict himself and he and he talks about this when he talks about incoming commits is he refers to them as being our kind of guy which I have always interpreted to mean I can yell at this kid and he's not gonna quit or get you know get too pouty about it um the thing is, not only now you not only need to get that guy in the door, but you have to convince him to stay when there's a lot more ladders out of this particular pool than there used to be. So, yeah, I, it is just as well, given the way that I think roster construction is going to head in the future, that Izzo's probably heading towards the end of his career anyway. And I'm not saying that because I want to get rid of him, although this past season was extremely frustrating to watch. And I think he did a pretty bad job. That's not to say he doesn't have anything left and that he can't make something out of this, but um, yeah. Well, and unless you're Mark Turgeon, um, Juwan Howard's demeanor has kind of, uh, you know, shown the opposite where it's kind of clear that, that players really, you know, like playing for him because he doesn't do all that shit. So that's a situation where like I could see do, you know, Illinois had Adam Miller leave. I have no idea if that has anything to do with uh, the amount of yelling at, that occurred. I don't know that he was specifically a target. I don't know that anybody will ever attract quite as much screaming as Kipper Nichols did. Uh, that was really kind of horrifying, but you can almost see yeah, it the thing where it's guy. like, where it's like, you know, Hey, that guy also coaches a program that could use a player with my skill set, And he's not going to scream at me all the goddamn time. You make a really interesting point about Juwan Howard though. And some, and it had something occurred to me, which is that honestly, his NBA experience could be very helpful that way. Because in the NBA, if you're a coach that shouts at your players, the player says, fuck you, I'm demanding a trade. Good luck winning without yeah. me. Like, yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, you know, honestly, that's a very interesting point. It's the inverse players. Nick Saban to the Dolphins, right? <laughs> Where... <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. No, I, I, you, I think you stumbled across something very interesting there, which is, 
given that it's going to be easier than ever for players to move on if they're not treated in the way that they expect, maybe the, maybe the college ranks, at least at the top levels, are going to move towards an NBA style of coaching, at least from a player management approach, not necessarily from how you teach them to shoot and stuff like that, although that wouldn't necessarily hurt given what we saw from some teams in the conference last year. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wonder if that's going to be a new way. Who knows? That may well have factored into Indiana's thinking in tabbing Mike Woodson so quickly is that we need an NBA guy who has roots here. Woodson's a perfect candidate. I, it's entirely possible. That's a very interesting thought. Yeah. Cause, cause again, you, you said it, Indiana's had talent, but the churn has been pretty high for them the last few years. It has been. I, I honestly, I don't think that Archie Miller's personal style has necessarily been no. the issue there. He did recruit a few guys that were obvious early departures, and that's something else that happens when you have the kind of recruiting chops they do. Is you have, you're always going to have guys heading out the door to the NBA, not to other schools. Um, but yeah, man, that's really something. You know, that's something I'm going to have to think more about. Um, so anyway, the other two schools that have new coaches, Minnesota and Penn State, likewise are both going to look very different. Uh, Minnesota to an extreme degree. I checked. I think this is basically current up to today. They had eight players go into the portal. Uh, and then Eric Curry also uh, is going to retire, medically retire. He's not going to continue playing. So they have eight players going out, the ninth who retired. They have already landed three incoming transfers, some guards from low majors whose names escape me, and they have two high school recruits coming in. So they have five new players coming in to replace the nine who are leaving. Um, it sounds like Brandon Johnson is still undecided on whether he's coming back. He was decent at times for them, certainly an upgrade at par forward from what they had the year before. Even if he comes back, though, it's going to be him and Boothgock and Isaiah Innan coming back, and that's it everybody else is going to be new uh, and that is a hoybergian level of turnover um oh i no you know what i'm already out of date because in addition to the three transfers i mentioned they also landed xavier johnson from Pitt. so you know some signs that he might be able to put a roster together but a lot of johnsoning going on there yeah johnson and johnson um gonna, gonna get minnesota basketball past the pandemic hopefully so oh uh, yeah and then hopefully there will be no more tears <laughs> um, yeah the, the tangle free vaccine is the version that i've heard people get if you get johnson johnson so um well i got the pfizer yesterday and it feels like i like fell off my skateboard onto my shoulder yeah it's gonna hurt for a couple days it the se- but, you know, weirdly, everyone said the second one hit him badly. I got my second one, I think it's been two or three weeks now, and I was fine. I didn't have any real negative. The first one was definitely sore for a couple of days after it, but then second one, really no big problem. So the one thing that I thought was kind of weird, and again, it's early enough that by the time we publish this, it'll probably be out of date and like five of the transfers will decide to stay. But I would have thought with, a former Patino assistant coming back, who's presumably involved in recruiting most of these players who are transferring out, that more of them would have changed their mind by now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I wanted, I look back and he left Minnesota in 2018, so it's not necessarily like there's any overlap, but it's still, you know, they presumably hired him to get some kind of a continuity established. 
Yeah, but I think there would be some overlap there because you got to remember most of the time recruiting in basketball starts when the kids are in like ninth or 10th right. grade at the latest. So if anything, it's it's the recruits in a couple years that he won't know. That's that's where he's going to be behind the eight balls with this year's high schoolers. Um, but the guys who are on the roster now, he should have still been involved with them to some extent. Um, so yeah, that's, again, it's early. That could well be that he either turns that around or maybe he has alternate plans anyway. But that was just something I thought was a little odd. Um, Penn State's a little bit more of a mystery box as well. Because, again, they had a bunch of guys transfer or enter the portal. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury did convince Isaiah Brockington to de-portal himself. So he's going to stick around. They'll have him. They'll have Miles Dredd. Um, third guy that I'm forgetting who's important. Oh, boy. Um, eh. Nope, it's gone. I don't have it. Um Three guards. They're with him and Miles Dredd, and there's a third guard, definitely a smaller shooty ball guy. Um, yeah, name's not coming to me. So anyway, he's gonna have three players returning again from a pretty bad team. It's not a. I would think if I'm a Penn State fan, I still want him to try to bring Steph Lundy and John Hara back into the fold. The other guys, I think he can kind of let go. Um, oh, actually, I, I did see Jamari Wheeler. They're very small, very fast, terribly shooting point guards going to Ohio State. Um, kind of a weird move for all parties involved, but I guess we'll see how that goes. So, yeah, that's about all that we're going to cover as far as this goes because other teams have had transfers. Other teams have had guys come in. It does not feel like roster situations are are set yet at all. I don't think any team in the conference has their – even their top 10 guys set for next year at this point. So, so if I'm just, I'm just going to browse the transfer portal real quick, just to get to <clears> everything <throat> we, we missed uh, Adam Miller, the uh, freshman from Peoria shooting guard uh, recruited as a point guard, but shooting guard because he's better at that uh, announced his intention to transfer. It was a complete surprise to me. Uh, he started every single game this year as per an agreement they apparently had. So if you're, playing this on, you know, the PS2, you're thinking, what the hell is wrong? Like, I didn't break any recruiting promises, and, and yet I can't invest enough hours to get the dude back. Um, uh, Daryl Morcel is in the portal. I thought he had indicated he was going to take a stab at the draft, but not hire an agent. Yeah, that seems most likely at this point. I mean, there's, a, from our Maryland source, right, there's a lot of uh, uh, there, there's just a lot of drama about the Mark Turgeon situation as far as what oh, the well, ramifications are. Speaking of that, I mentioned this to you earlier today. Um, so they announced the terms of the Turgeon extension, right? Basically, it makes it a lot easier for Maryland to buy him out, but does also extend him through 2026. But also, like within 12 hours of them announcing that extension, um, Aquan Smith who was a freshman guard for them this year, transferred <laughs> announced he was entering the portal. <laughs> so it's like, it, you know, the guy's a freshman. So presumably the large majority of his interaction with Turgeon to this point has still been being recruited where you're making all the promises and you're making a deliberate effort to establish a bond with this player, getting to know him, convincing him it's in his best interest to play for you. And, oh man, we have big plans. You're going to love it here. That's still the large majority of a Quan Smith experience with Mark Turgeon. 
And then he comes and he spends the first year under him. And look, Maryland did a little better than most people expected this year. They weren't great, but they were a little better than they should have been. And then you get the news that your coach who has brought you into this situation has been extended. It's like, well, I'm out. <laughs> I just see the as picture of SpongeBob meme where he's like, he gets right, his phone. I'm and head out. Yeah. He gets the news of the extension. He's like, I, I'm head out. So <laughs> just, um, I thought that it, I'm sure they're probably unrelated, but look, they're close to each other in time and it's a long off season. It doesn't feel like a coincidence to me. Anyway, that's um, all right. Yeah. I, since we're kind of summed up, I suppose I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Yes. Rocket Watts packed his bags last night, pre-flight zero hour, 9am and transferred out. I don't believe he's announced a destination yet. Fortunately, Tomazo didn't do what he usually does in the past when this point guard situation collapses, which is, well, I guess I'll just wait three years for the next recruit to come in. Nope. Went out and secured Tyson Walker, a highly coveted transfer point guard from Northeastern who had kind of a national showcase game against North Carolina. I'm very much looking forward to having a point guard who might actually play point guard next year. Um, And then Wisconsin has a few guys in the portal Mostly just some anonymous big dudes, but also Nate Reavers. That was a weird one. Um, that's another situation like I was talking about with Miles Johnson, where it's like, what else did you want? Like, what? Yeah, you, it doesn't what really gonna... make sense what he's looking for. You can't divine it from the simple fact that that happened. Yeah, and it's like I said, that's who knows what's going on behind the scenes. But guys no longer have to put up with that kind of stuff, especially this year. I mean, who knows? what the rules will look like on a permanent basis going forward. But right now, at least if it meant if you're tired of your roommate, go for it, transfer, move out. Like now's the time to take a stab at doing something better, especially again, if you're Reavers, you only got one year to play it back anyway. Yeah. Why not roll the dice with somebody else? You've been playing with, you know, Brad Davison and Demetri Trice for like 12 years at this point. Maybe you're tired of those guys. And you just want to try something different. Wouldn't be the worst. Maybe you just don't want to hear Trice noise anymore. Oh, that could be possible. Maybe you're tired of of Mama Trice shrieking during free throw. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Uh, Illinois picked up Florida uh, big man Omar Payne in the transfer portal. So add a little bit to an inexperienced front court. Um, Not quite not quite big enough to replace say a Kofi Coburn, although nobody really is um, because that, that dude is just so enormous, but there's also a number of Texas tech guys in the transfer portal, which I am led to believe are going to Texas. (laughs) It's just, just, you know, pick at that. Just, just pick at that corpse. That's going to be saucy. Yeah, no, it's like Prometheus at this point, just (laughs) repeatedly getting your entrails eaten. If you're Texas Tech people, oh boy, um, yeah, man, you when you're you're Chris Beard, you go back into whatever Texas Tech's building is called. You may want to bring the whole the whole Texas Rangers with you because you're gonna need some backup. Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, how are they doing this year? How's anybody doing this year? Didn't Detroit end up at the top of the division? For some reason, I was talking about the Texas Rangers, like the law enforcement division. <laughs> I know, and I didn't know baseball. enough about how baseball was going to to make a reasonable joke there, so I just tried to shoehorn something. In there. Your source for big and it's off tackle. 
Empire!